Hello, and welcome to Transfusion's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Yara Park. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Ms. Sunitha Bege and Dr. Connie Westhoff, both from the New York Blood Center, who will be discussing their recent work, Impact of RHD Genotyping on Transfusion Practice in Denmark and the United States, and Identification of Novel RHD Alleles. Welcome, Ms. Bege and Dr. Westhoff. Thank you for joining us. Let's start with some quick introductions. Do you mind introducing yourselves? Sure. Um, I'm Sunitha Vegi. I'm the technical director at the New York Blood Center. And I'm Connie Westhoff, and I am executive scientific director at the New York Blood Center for the um, Laboratory of Immunohematology and Genomics, and also um, the director for the National Blood Group Genomics Center, um, which is one of our affiliates uh, located in Kansas City. Thank you both for joining us. So for our listeners, can you give a quick summary of your study and paper? Um, Sure. So uh, we were lucky enough to um, collaborate with the folks in Denmark. And so what both of our groups were doing were looking at um, samples that had a weak uh, D-typing and then trying to look at them from the molecular level to see you know, what could be the explanation for it. In the US, primarily we were looking at uh, patients and the Denmark actually also included um, samples that were both from patients and donors. So it was really doing a molecular characterization to see you know, what weak or partial Ds that might be underlying the um, serologic weaker samples. And so I would just add that um, one of the motivations for um, putting together this study and this paper was um, the fact that in 2015 in the U.S. it was um, recommended that genotyping be used to guide transfusion practice, especially for pregnant women. And um, we were five years out. This is um, from that recommendation. And we were um, curious just what kind of impact it might have on practice, and um, it might be helpful for folks to see what kind of alleles we were seeing in the U.S. in their in this very diverse population. And at the same time, um, Denmark had been also genotyping uh, over a year uh, a year's time um, of their samples that had weaker discordant D-typing. So what led you to these two populations specifically, the Danish and the U.S.? Well, actually, it was a a colleague, um, one of our our authors, who, um, uh, Dr. Mark Yezer, who spends some time uh, in the Danish transfusion service and then also was aware of our work, who suggested um, maybe we could put our data together in a a single publication. So... um, that it would be maybe of more broad interest um, to the transfusion community, not just in the U.S., but internationally. So what is there to be learned about supporting patients from the contrast that you saw between the Danish donors and the American patients? So I think definitely in the um, Danish population, it really fits more to what was has been shown you know, from the European studies. Um, from that 2015 paper that Connie had mentioned, you know, it really talks about how you can safely treat weak D types one, two, and three as being D positive. And then in the more Caucasian, you know, population in the Danish, you know, it fit that in that most of theirs were the types one, two, and three. So the majority of their, you know, patients that were weaker, you could, if you wanted to treat a majority of them as just being D positive. 
But in the diverse population here in the U.S., we had almost half of ours that, you know, were something other than types one, two, and three. And so it really said you would um, treat them very differently in terms of being D positive or D negative. Yes, and I would add just to that what Sunitha said in that in the U.S. it really um, should give people some guidance, I think, on how to treat and what value there would be in, to, in, in actually going forward and getting a genotype, especially for pregnant women and um, females under the age of 50 um, that might have a pregnancy sometime in their future. So we know that it's very disparate how different institutions treat patients, and some would treat all of them as D-negative uh, when they saw a variable or a weaker than expected D-typing. But this study shows that um, only about 33% of those needed to be treated as D-negative. 66% wastage of D-negative blood if they were all treated as D-negative. And then in on the other side of the coin, well, some treat them all as D-positive. And so you might say, how many times would that not have been the best approach to use for these individuals? And we show here that about 50% of the time, um, 52 at, actually, um, that would have not been the best approach. Some other um, approach might have benefited that patient to prevent an anti-D during pregnancy. So my next question was, how, if at all, can a patient's declared ethnicity be used to guide RHD genotype testing and transfusion therapy? You know, self-declared ethnicity, as we do for many of our blood centers for our donors, really is probably, um, you know, it's not going to be always accurate. You know, I, I think it's some is how you self-declare yourself, and some of it is, you know, people not even knowing fully their you know, backgrounds. So I think it still um, would be really beneficial then, especially in these diverse areas, to still genotype. And I would, I would, I would just um, support that. We, at the New York Blood Center and many other blood centers, the um, donors do um, self-declare ethnicity. And we, we see many surprises um, in some of the alleles we find when we're typing um, donors for matching patients. Um, for example, the Duffy um, negative in, it shows up in um, many Caucasians um, occasionally. Some of these, what we consider very strong African black RH alleles will, will oftentimes pop up in um, um, a donor who's declared themselves as Caucasian. And the reverse is also true. We've had African-American donors who, when we genotype them, they are a weak D-type 1 or 2, which is almost, you know, has never seen the African content, continent, but it's, you know, part of their historical admixture. So um, it, we've certainly learned that um, self-declared ethnicity um, and certainly perceived ethnicity is not the what you want to use to determine whether the patient has an RH variant or not. You mentioned in the Danish population, only 7% were at risk of developing an anti-D. 
So do they and their population always genotype their serologic weak Ds? As you've mentioned here in the U.S., the practice is very different. Are they more standardized there? You know, they have more than one Danish um, transfusion service, I believe, and so I'm only privy to to this um, Danish cohort or or group, and um, they do genotype their their patients. Um, maybe Sunitha knows more about yeah. their practice, but um, it's not actually widespread throughout Europe, from my experience. Um, the U.S. has been doing a little more genotyping than some countries, but at the same time, Germany has been doing a lot more genotyping um, than the U.S. early on. So it's very variable um, and very country-specific. Um, I know the Netherlands does does um, genotyping um, quite often on their weak Ds, especially for pregnant women. Um, but one of the things we're looking forward to is making it a routine part of pregnancy workups to actually do a genotype um, as part of their first pregnancy visit and to use it as part of their medical record, uh, which would be the most cost-effective way to, to integrate genotyping into standard practice. So would you recommend RHD genotyping as standard of care for all patients? Would you make a differentiation between males versus females, pregnant versus not pregnant, or older versus younger? At this time, I would, and um, I'll let Sunitha respond too, but we, um, it's, it's difficult in our healthcare system because cost is always a factor, and we're very aware that the hospital laboratory is bearing the burden of most of the cost of these kinds of tests on when they're getting ready to transfuse a patient just because of the way our, our system um, it reimburses uh, health care. So, so we know it's a cost issue. So if you have um, limited resources, which 99% of our customers have limited resources, we certainly encourage any female under age 50, you know, to get the genotype, especially if there's a question about the strength of the RH typing. Males, not so much. Um, but if you have the funds and, and you want to have the best patient care, then, or if one of your males is facing long-term transfusion support, um, then I would certainly suggest genotyping. Yeah, I think I would, you know, agree too. I, you know, I think we all wish cost, you know, didn't have to play a role in, you know, some of these decisions, but we know they do. And so, you know, because of that, I think it would you know, like Connie had mentioned to, you know, first look at the females that were, you know, less than 50 to genotype. But I would add too, you know, when we think about some of our males, you know, we've had those cases where patients we've, you know, genotyped to maybe help show that, you know, an anti-D might really have been an auto and not an allo and be able to help switch them back to being D positive that anti-D wasn't demonstrating. And so we've had some nice cases like that to show, and in those cases, we, you know, probably sequenced everything to show that there definitely was, you know, a normal D. And so it does, I think, sometimes have applications, you know, for some of patients other than just the females of childbearing potential. 
And I'd like to um, reinforce that point that we've found for our customers, um, genotyping is really helped when um, they didn't see a, a weak, weaker typing than anticipated, and they didn't see any disparity um, between different anti-D-typing reagents. But then they, they're doing the antibody workup, and it looks like um, there's a warm auto maybe there with a D-like specificity or or even a, a straightforward what looks like an anti-D and um, genotyping can help resolve um, especially when we we do full gene sequencing um, to be able to guide transfusion therapy in those situations to distinguish an auto antibody from an allo antibody. So for our young women, let's say a 25-year-old female, if she has a D-typing that's 4+, do you still think she would benefit from genotyping potentially? You know, uh, if I can go ahead and answer that first, I feel very strongly about that because um, it depends upon her ethnic group, and that certainly depends upon her genetics because we know especially in Hispanic and African-Americans where their D, uh, partial D3 and DAR are much more prevalent. And these women do make anti-D, but it doesn't show up in the, with the reagents in the forward typing. So um, we know that we're not, when we say use genotyping for individuals who have a weaker than expected D-typing, we know we're not um, serving everyone. There are partial Ds that are very strongly reactive and those are not, and they have a risk for anti-D and those are not detected. And I guess that's why um, we hope in the future that all pregnant women will have one a one-time genotype as part of their medical records so that they do get our immune globulin uh, if needed, and, and we do prevent anti-D, even in those women who have partial Ds that strongly type D positive. But the work group had been focusing uh, on the recommendation for um, weak Ds, um, specifically to save um, Rh immune globulin dosage and to save the large amounts of Rh negative blood that were going to the number of people who are weak D type 1, 2, and 3. So that addressed the overusage of Rh negative and blood and Rh immune globulin. The other side of the coin is the underusage for, for those women who have a strong D type who can still be a partial D. And again, they are most often minorities. What's your take-home message to blood bankers out there? What do we need to be doing to best take care of our patients? As for um, U.S. hospitals, when they see a D-typing that is um, weaker than expected or is variable um, or is not what it was the last time they, they saw the patient, um, I think it's helpful for them to know that in 53% uh, of the cases, they they should be serving that person as D-positive in 48% or so. Um, they should be better serving that patient as D-negative, especially if it's a woman of childbearing age. So um, it kind of gives 
folks, I think, a sense in the U.S. of, um, you know, well, am I doing the right thing or not the right thing? It, it gives them, um, you know, the odds of what the best patient care in this situation would be. So hopefully that supports um, getting a genotype for that patient. Um, and of course, it can't happen overnight. You know, you usually have to send out testing. And so sometimes it only benefits the patient if you see them a second time. But it would really benefit the patient if it was part of their electronic medical records. So now it's the electronic medical records are becoming something all of us have access to through our healthcare system. I think um, the how to treat the patient and their D status should be very much a part of that. So um, um, like I said, I hope this gives folks in the U.S. an idea of when you're guessing right or when you're guessing maybe wrong. It's about a 50-50. And that's our show. Thank you to Ms. Fage and Dr. Westhoff for joining us for a great discussion. This has been Yara Park for Transfusions Monthly Podcast. See you next time.